Happiness. Happy, happy, happy. It's nice to see a big sign that says happy when you walk in bright and early in the morning. Some people are early morning risers. I guess you would be if you're here. I want to be happy. I take a deep breath and look at the sign. Does it feel like a bright light in your face? Because something in your soul is going, I'm not quite happy. And what's wrong? And we're going to talk today about the Beatitudes, blesseds, the blesseds, the happies. And I really do believe there are real resources in Scripture that can lead us to genuine blessedness. But they break us a little bit. They challenge our assumptions for sure. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this chance to be here. Again, with my brothers and sisters in Christ here at Leesburg Community Church. I pray that as we talk together this morning about your word, that you would teach us and lead us to genuine blessedness, a happy life, a life that you called us to because of Jesus. Give us ears to hear and give me words to speak. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, once again, my name is Ben Henriquez. It's a privilege to be with you all again. My good friend, Pastor Tim, keeps inviting me back, and I'm grateful for the opportunity. Our church community meets at a different time, which is what allows us to have this partnership together, and so I'm very grateful for that. Two events have played out in the news over the past week that have been troubling for me, may be troubling for you all as well, but they highlight the depravity existing in our culture and the complete lack of resources we seem to have as people, if we could say as humanity, to deal with genuine heart internal issues like things such as happiness, the pursuit of happiness. The pursuit of happiness is what leads high school kids to do dumb stuff. We did dumb stuff in high school. Brett Kavanaugh evidently was involved in dumb stuff, the Supreme Court nominee who's going through it. And because people saw him doing dumb stuff, and he may have done dumb stuff, his life is a wreck. I mean, just put yourself in his shoes, his wife's shoes. It's miserable. That's not happy. I mean, I would not be feeling happy this morning if I was either one of them or their family, regardless of what the truth is. Not happy. It's with heartbreak that I um, watched the conclusion to Bill Cosby's trial. Not because I didn't think justice was served, but because I thought, what a tragedy. I actually went back and re-watched some old YouTube videos of Bill Cosby's comedy. He was a funny guy. I remember growing up, my parents highlighted him because his, his comedy was pretty clean compared to the raunchy comedy that was out there. He's worth $400 million. At 80 years old, he's being let off in handcuffs because he pursued happy in a way that left him morally bankrupt. That's what's at stake. I don't think I'm any better than Brett or Bill. I am not. And if you think you are on your own, 
without some kind of redemptive changing work, you are headed for a lifetime of frustration, disappointment, and perhaps tragedy as well. And we know this stuff, the inner sins, the stuff that we would never talk about at church, the stuff that Bill evidently was doing in secret for many years. He thought his fame or his power or his position would be able to get him out of trouble, and it didn't. As Johnny Cash said, you can run on for a long time, but sooner or later, there's a judgment day. That doesn't make me very happy. So what was Jesus talking about when he comes to this crowd on a mountain and he leads off with his sermon with these nine blesseds? Nine blesseds. Blessed are, blessed are, happy are, happy are. We know that blessed is used instead of happy because we're referring to a state of being, a state of mind that goes beyond a moment. Drugs will make you happy. Alcohol will make you happy. Pornography might make you happy. It's true. If it didn't, people wouldn't do it and there wouldn't be billion dollar industries built around them. What's the problem? The happy wears off. That's how some people, by the way, teach, uh, uh, how some people uh, deal with or treat church or religion. They go for the happy. I want to be happy, so I want a good service. I want to be happy, so I need a good message. I want to feel good this week. I had a tough week. I deserve to be happy when I go to church. So if Pastor Tim, you don't preach right, you're getting in the way of my happiness. That makes me mad. If the music doesn't go quite right, that makes me mad. That messes with my happiness. I don't like that style of music, etc. It can be like a drug that we pursue. We don't realize it. It's better than actual drugs, but it can lead to the same type of conclusions. And what's at stake, friends, is this. And this is what's at stake with the Sermon on the Mount. If we think that happy is not genuinely possible in Christ, and if we think that somehow Jesus is a bit like a stuffed animal, like it's plush, it's soft, it's comfortable, it's squishy, but if you want to try to use it to drive down the road, or if you want to try to use it to build your house on, or if you want to try to use it to actually be useful for anything, really, it's no good. And I fear that's how many of us, and I challenge you, myself included, that's how we treat Jesus. That's how we treat his teachings. Here, this, this sermon is so important because, not, not the one I'm preaching, but the Sermon on the Mount is so important because it's really the highlight of all sermons in Scripture. It pulls together all of these various teachings of the Bible into one unit. And these nine blesseds that we're looking at, we're actually going to only look at three of them today, are a part of that overall sermon. And Jesus is teaching the keys to a blessed life. So even when we look at these nine blesseds here, I want to challenge us to remember that these are part of a very long sermon. It's actually not that long compared to many of our sermons, but it's much longer than what we're dealing with today. 
So just like if you took an introductory remarks that I was sharing with you all this morning, 5,000 years from now, the sermon is so good, somebody writes it down and an archaeologist, archaeologist finds it, pulls out three, that was a joke by the way on the so, so good, uh, thank you Kim in the back, <laughs> she got that. They pull out three, three, ver, three uh, phrases from my message and they're like, let's study these. They're like, hmm. He doesn't sound very brilliant because these three phrases, these three sentences aren't that good. Or they're about something else entirely. So we must remember in these blesseds are supports or introductory remarks that Jesus is giving for his entire message. Why is it so important? Because when we look at these nine blesseds, Let's go ahead and look at a few of them. He opened his mouth and taught them. And he said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And we read those things and we go, Jesus, you're crazy. That's not the key to blessedness, happiness. And by the way, in church history, many people have done exactly that. They take these nine verses, or more than nine verses, but nine blesseds, and they say to themselves, ah, I get it, Jesus. You're telling me that if I am poor in spirit, and if I am meek, and if I am merciful, and if I am a peacemaker, then... I will have blessedness. Hogwash. That's why a lot of people here are angry. It doesn't work. That is religion. Religion says that if I put the virgin on the altar at the edge of the volcano and I kill her, then toss her into the volcano, the gods will be happy. That's not what Christianity is all about. It's an upside-down kingdom. Everything's topsy-turvy. In Christianity, the God took the virgin, his own pure son, and put him over the inferno for you and for me. Religion says, I approach the nine blesseds as if I do these things, then God must be pleased with me. And we wonder why I keep coming to church and I'm not happy. Because God, I was nice to my husband this week. He was a big fat jerk. You know it. He knows it, even though he won't admit it. And I know it. But he's still not doing what I want him to. So fine, forget it. I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to go online. I'm going to check out my old boyfriends on Facebook. It's not my fault. I tried, God. I was religious. You really think that's the key to happiness, friends? There's better. So here in these nine blesseds, I'm proposing that Jesus is saying this, that even, even the poor in spirit, even those who mourn, even those who show mercy, even those who are compassionate, those who are pure in heart, even those people in the kingdom of heaven can be blessed. Because that's what the message of 
Christ is all about, that there's a new world order. It's not of this world. You don't always see it at work. Sometimes it's working through your world and my world like yeast in bread. But it is working and it is growing and it is moving and it works. It is most consistent with how the universe actually is. And we know our world is so broken because we are not living according to how things actually are. We want to break those natural orders that God put into place for a reason. And so we wreck our homes and we wreck our families and we wreck our communities and we wreck our lives. All throughout this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is saying, you're blessed if you do them. You're blessed if you do them. You're blessed if you do them. If I came up here this morning and gave you a talk on, I don't know, let's say running. And I said, this is how you can run a marathon. You took copious notes, very careful notes. And then at the end of our time together, you put that notebook very carefully on a shelf. You waited six months, then you ran your marathon. And you thought to yourself, why am I tired after a mile? That Ben is full of baloney. I took the notes. I remember everything he said. I even studied it. No, you got to put it into practice. Friend, the king, friends, the kingdom of heaven is a, a, a kingdom of living. It's a kingdom of life. It's not just a kingdom of ideas. I sympathize with people who think Jesus is full of baloney. I do. Because too often in our churches, we talk about religion, religion, religion. And to be fair to pastors and preachers, that's probably not what they have in mind, but it's what we hear. We hear the stuff that we're supposed to do, and we think, if I just do this, then I'll get what I want. But the kingdom of heaven is not like that. It's an upside-down kingdom. It's different than anything you or I have ever encountered, and it challenges the very assumptions of our lives, such as, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are the merciful, blessed are the pure in heart. Mortimer Adler, just a quick note on happiness, talks about, um, he's a philosopher from the University of Chicago. He wrote a really good book I'd recommend called Ten Philosophical Mistakes. Um, but he talks about the importance of recognizing that happiness is the result of a life well lived. It's the end product. It's, it's not something that you can grab at any moment. And so as we begin to dig into this idea of what is happiness, what is blessedness in the kingdom of God, it's important to recognize that Mortimer Adler, who I don't believe he ever, actually maybe at the very end of his life, he believed in Christ. Um, but even philosophers recognize that this idea of success or happiness is something that you can't drag, grab at directly. Which is why Jesus later on, by the way, says what? In the same sermon, he says, Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you. And yet so many of us want to go right at the happy. We try to grab right at Jesus. No, that's not how you get it. And we think to ourselves, Jesus, you're nice. I, I really like what you did, and I'm thankful for the cross, but your words don't actually work in my everyday living. 
And the great tragedy of that thought and that assumption is that it literally guarantees I will never experience the blessed life that he wants us to have, that we are even made for, which is why our hearts are broken in our longing for it. Because what's a career if not a way to seek meaning, fulfillment, happiness? What's a relationship except for a way not to feel lonely but to feel loved? Why? So I can feel happy. Let's dig into these three verses here. Matthew 5, chapter 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. And blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Our topic is, is Jesus relevant for a happy life? And I hope we actually get around to answering that question by the end of our time today. But one question that we must ask ourselves here at the beginning is, is Jesus relevant for compassionate living? Is he relevant for compassionate living? And that's the idea behind mercy. This idea of mercy in the New Testament, the word is differentiated from the idea of grace that we use. Mercy is used as genuine compassion, where I actually do something physical to improve the well-being of another person. And let's look at our religion, idea of religion. Religion is familiar with this idea of being merciful. It's not unique to Christianity. Uh, the Buddhists uh, are well known for their commitment to compassion, an idea of compassion. As a matter of fact, I think in most world religions, this idea of mercy or compassion is rooted within it. And so in Christianity, too, we think, well, look at this. Jesus said, blessed are the merciful. And if we think he's only saying, as we think about religion, if you are merciful, then you will be blessed in this way. You will um, receive mercy. Then I will move into my world with that assumption. I will be nice to someone. I will show compassion towards them when I'd rather give them a punch in the nose. Or tell them to get a job. And, and I will do that with the assumption that if I do these things, then I will receive mercy. But the next day, I don't receive mercy. That very person I showed compassion to may be twisted and turned and got me fired from my job. Or maybe it's not that severe. Maybe I go home that day and I think, wow, I was merciful. And I go home that day and my husband or wife or, or, or child is not merciful to me. I forgot to take out the trash. I uh, didn't do something I said I would. And they just give me the hammer. And I think to myself, Jesus is not relevant for a compassionate life. Now, I probably never say those words out loud, but those habits begin to be built into my thought processes. And friends, the problem here is this. The second I begin to, one, not know what Jesus said, or two, not actually do it, I will then begin to disbelieve him. 
And as some have said, I can become a Christian atheist. Where I like Jesus, I like church, all that stuff. I think I'm going to heaven when I die. But I don't actually fully rely on him and do what he says when it counts. And that's the death knell. Because really, when it counts is when it matters. When I have to make that choice between my gut inclinations or what Jesus says. And what we're looking at here is a little bit like this saw. I remember when I was um, in a church service and I forgot what time the service ended and I still had a lot to cover. Can somebody tell me what time we're done here? 9.45, thank you. So um, in all seriousness, uh, when I was uh, about, I guess I was in 7th or 8th grade, I um, went to this boys' brigade camp deep in the mountains of West Virginia. I look at my son now who's in sixth grade, and I think, how in the world did my parents let me go away for three months? And I was out in the middle of nowhere. They left me alone in the woods as like a, you know, some kind of man-building exercise and all this stuff. It was great. But I remember I was there, and uh, we had to cut a bunch of wood. Now, this was back in the day before they had electricity. Um, Just joking. They, um, all they had was handsaws at this old camp down in West Virginia. And I remember I thought, you know, I, I know how to cut some wood, but we had a lot of wood to get through. And I went and I was like, and it, ah, man, I got tired so fast. My arm was worn out. I was not getting the job done. And it was a little embarrassing for a young, hopefully tough guy one day. And a guy, one of the older guys that was there, came over to me and he said, Ben, your problem is you don't understand which way the blade goes. So that you need to look, that that the cutting action on this particular saw only works when you push forward. When you pull back, there's no cutting. So all that energy you're wasting when you're pulling back is just wasted energy. And that's why you're getting tired twice or three times as fast. He said, just pull back nice and easy and then push a little bit to cut the wood. It made all the difference. I had no idea. Amazing. By the way, some saws today are double cut, but the one I was using was not. But that changed everything for me. And you might be a person today who has been living according to the principles of religion, where you're saying, blessed are the peacemakers, and I try to move into my world with peace and compassion and merciful action, but when I do it, it's not working. And what we're going to talk about here in just a minute is why Jesus in the upside-down kingdom gives me resources to actually move through the world with compassion that can last, that doesn't get worn out. Because a lot of us have shifted from religion to we would call reality. A a good friend of mine who's a Christian businessman told me for many years, he said, Ben, I really appreciate all the study you do of Scripture and all that, but it's not for the real world. Because he's probably looking at beatitudes like these and thinking to himself, if I literally actually apply these truths at my work, I will never advance in my career. I will never achieve what I want to achieve. I will never experience success. Because reality would say, if you are merciful to someone who's genuinely unkind or has your um, harm in mind, you are guaranteed to get taken advantage of. You are guaranteed that that snake will come back and bite you. Fine, don't cut the head off the snake. Wait till it bites you, no problem. 
And there's a lot of Christians that have kind of shifted from this idea of religion, which they know doesn't work, and they say, no, I'm going to pursue a more realistic view of the world. And it keeps a lot of people from Jesus. How are you supposed to be a soldier with the Beatitudes? And if this is Jesus' greatest sermon, what are you going to do with that? What does that tell you about Jesus? That makes you think Jesus is not relevant for real living. Let's keep going. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The pure in heart. What does it mean to be pure in heart? Pure in heart. That means faultless. Pure in heart. I never sin. I never do bad stuff. A swear word never crosses my lips. I keep my house neat and clean. I keep all the Ten Commandments. I do everything that I'm supposed to do. I'm very religious. Remember what we said about the Sermon on the Mount. These introductory passages should not only be seen as if, but even those who are. Because religion would say, well, if I do those things, if I make sure I never do any wrong stuff, and by the way, you're doing wrong stuff, and you're doing wrong stuff, and you're doing wrong stuff, but I'm not doing that wrong stuff, but you're doing wrong stuff, and you're doing wrong stuff, and I'm not doing that wrong stuff. And in the same sermon, Jesus comes back to this issue, and he says famously, why are you looking at the speck in your brother or sister's eye when you have a massive log in your own eye? By the way, there's theologians out there that say Jesus talks this way because that's how you made a joke in Hebraic culture. You would give an ironic statement. So you've got a speck, in, they've got a speck in their eye. You've got a log. How are you supposed to fit a log in your eye? It's huge. So it's kind of lighthearted. Jesus could make jokes, evidently. But you've got a log in your eye. Why is church so miserable to be in sometimes? Because people are trying to be religious. <laughs> Jesus says even the people that can never give themselves a break, even the people that are so uptight, even the people that cry at night because they try and they try and they try and they still fail, even those people the pure in heart, in the kingdom of God, can see God. That's good news. That's good news. Verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. We've already talked about this a little bit. The peacemakers. So if I think to myself, I need to be religious about this statement, I would say I get into the middle of an argument. And people will bless me as a son of God. I mean, that's a pretty high moniker. Ben, you're not just a man. You are a son of God. That's like Greek mythology stuff. It is. I mean, can we be honest about what the scripture is saying? And now Jesus is saying later in this passage, it only works if you do it. So how you understand what that means will totally change your approach to life and to Jesus. Because let's be clear again. Later in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, 
the one who hears my words and puts them into practice is like someone who builds their house on a rock. The one who does not put my words into practice is like someone who builds their house on sand. And Hurricane Florence will come and wipe that house out. But the one that is built on the rock will stand. That's what's at stake. Bill Cosby being led away in handcuffs, that's what's at stake for you and I if we are unable to wrap our minds around the fact that Jesus truly was the most intelligent human being ever to live on this planet. When you ask people who's the smartest person that ever lived, I'm guessing if you asked 100 people, not one person, maybe one, if it was a child, maybe, would say Jesus. But look at your hand. Hold it up in front of your face. Go ahead. Move it. He invented this. Jesus invented the hand and your heart and your brain and your skeletal system and all the stuff we call science and we say conservatives are against science or whatever. Baloney. None of this stuff makes sense. Jesus invented these things. And now we're going to say that I don't trust him enough to put into practice his words? That's crazy. Unless we don't understand his words. Unless we're applying it as a religious lever by which we move God to get what we want. Religion will fail. Religion will frustrate us. Religion will cause me to beat the snot out of you for your own good. And the great failures in Christianity have often come from that. Not only in world culture, but in our own homes. We are willing to make you suffer in the name of rightness. And Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. Even in the kingdom of heaven, blessed are the peacemakers. Ask a policeman what it's like to get in the middle of an argument that's not their own. They're not called blessed. They're not feeling blessed in that moment. That's the reality. But religion somehow continues to say, well, if I do this stuff, God must. And then we get disappointed, discouraged, and we wonder why we show up to church week after week and we're not happy. We're not happy. The kingdom of heaven that Jesus is talking about here is an upside-down kingdom. It is totally revolutionary. It completely throws out of whack and out of order our assumption about what it means to be good, about what it means to have meaning, about what it means to have real life. How has religion or reality worked for you? You've been focusing on religion. Maybe you're just worn out. You're tired. You might be angry. You might be disappointed. You might be heartbroken. Because you've tried and you've tried and you did all the stuff, but the result did not work out and you are angry at God. Or maybe you've been focusing on reality. You say, well, forget religion. Forget compassion, forget mercy, forget peacemaking. This is how things really work. I've been in churches before where people are like, well, we've got two hats here. We've got the religious hat, feed the poor, etc. 
Now we've got the business hat. We'll put that on for dealing with electrical bills, the budget, and so forth. Is that really the life Jesus is talking about here? A blessed life? A schizophrenic life? I'll go to church on Sunday, but on Monday I'm going to have to do what it takes to survive. That's not the kingdom of heaven. People have been doing that for centuries. I want to show you something. kingdom of heaven combines all our hopes for I'm overcome with emotion because it was my religion that drove the nails <laughs> I really don't think there's another story of religion where the God takes virgin, his own son, to make life possible. I probably shouldn't nail nails into a cross during a message very often. And I'm, I'm weeping because it has made all the difference in my life. I can be a peacemaker while knowing that I already have peace I'm not pursuing something I don't have. I can be merciful because I have been shown mercy. And if you don't know that, if you haven't experienced the kingdom of heaven in that way, I guess I just feel bad for you. It's like going on vacation to a beautiful place and you wish other people could see it. That's happiness. The secret to happiness is not trying to get it, not trying to grab it, not trying to take some kind of hit off alcohol or off a career hit, church recognition, people liking you or not liking you. The secret to happiness is what Jesus said a long time ago. Forget that stuff. It'll never make you happy. Neither the religion or the sort of so-called real, realistic approach. They'll both fail you at the end. Only if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness will you find a blessed life. Heavenly Father, how can I say anything but thank you? I don't stand before my friends here with pride, just gratitude. 
And a deep desire that they would know the life that Jesus calls us to is not a religion. And it is the realest form of reality that we could ever hope to experience. It makes sense of our world. It keeps us from this schizophrenic way of life that just breaks us at the end. So I pray that if anyone here, as they have been listening, if you gave them ears to hear, if you gave them hearts to perceive, bring them to yourself. Help them to leave their religious ideas, their reality, which is just a temporary reality, and find forgiveness and redemption and hope and true blessedness because of the cross. And for that, we say thank you. Thank you so much. Amen. Go in peace.